and in one vestry meeting, uh, somebody said that whatever the presenting issue was, that this wasn't the hill that we were willing to die on. I stopped the meeting and asked, what hill are we willing to die on? Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today, as always, with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Gentlemen, how are you today? Great. Yeah, doing really well, Nick. Thanks. Well, we're excited to be joined today by the Reverend Andrew Pearson, who was until recently the Dean of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Andrew, welcome to Stand Firm. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, I say recently of the Advent because recently, like the three of us once did, uh, JD and I relatively recently, and Matt long ago, you crossed the, uh, what? what is it, the Thames? Is that the Anglican? I think the Ohio. <laughs> the, I think the, the, the Tiber the, Ohio the Rubicon? <laughs> the Hudson, maybe? Maybe the Hudson. the Hudson. Yeah. Anyway, you recently came into the ACNA from the Episcopal Church. I'm sure we're going to get into all the nooks and crannies of your story, but I wanted to start here. Like you, the three of us at one point or another knowingly took jobs in a church, the Episcopal Church, that was theologically revisionist and hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And eventually, none of us could stand that friction anymore. So I wonder if you would be willing to tell us a short version of your story, who you are, and how you got to one of the most prominent positions in the Episcopal Church. And then how did that friction go from being bearable to unbearable? Mm. Well, I grew up an Episcopalian, but like most Episcopalians, we never went to church. Uh, you know, my only memories of growing up in the church were were weddings and funerals, and I have an enormous family. So I was actually in church quite a bit. Uh, and believe it or not, because they were weddings and funerals, they, they had a positive effect upon me. They were celebration. Uh, they were high emotional intensity. And so I was always drawn to the church and even at a young age uh, felt the call to full-time ministry. I became a Christian uh, at the summer after my fifth grade. Uh, my mother dropped uh, my brothers and I off at vacation Bible school at a little Baptist church down the road from us. And uh, there uh, Jesus went from just kind of being a historical figure that I acknowledge to have existed. And uh, I believed he was who he, who he said he was, but that's really where the penny dropped and he became my Lord and savior. So uh, just kind of went from there. I, I did feel called to full-time ministry, uh, which doesn't do a lot for your dating career in high school and college. Uh, so I just said I was pre-law. Um, <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> just worked my way through that. Uh, and um, uh, was picked up for ordination in the diocese of South Carolina. My family had moved down to Georgetown County and, um, went uh, off to Oxford to Whitcliffe Hall for my theological studies. There were a number of us from South Carolina there. Came back, uh, married my wife, Lauren, uh, moved to Beaufort, South Carolina, where we, were, where we were at St. Helena's, and we were there for a little over five years before uh, we were called to the Advent to serve as an associate on staff with Frank Limehouse at the Advent. But before that, I mean, the writing was on the wall. Uh, I knew where the Episcopal Church, not only where it was headed, but, but where it was. And I should say, before I went off to seminary, I, I served for two years on staff of the American Anglican Council, 
and I was their affiliates coordinator. And so I, I really had a, a front row seat on the beginnings of all of this. I was at the 2003 general convention was had close friendships that still continue today with, with folks who were battling on the front lines and felt like I was going to a safe place in South Carolina, but realized, you know, this is all, again, not only headed in a definitive direction, it's already there. So I started to engage in a search process with a couple of ACNA congregations. And uh, how long ago was this? What, what year? 2000, 2010, 2011. So very, very early ACNA days. Yeah. So one of the churches that I was, was in the Carolinas, but was part of the diocese of Pittsburgh, you know, I mean, it was that it was in the yeah, very early days. And, um, it, but I really wanted to, to be with Frank Limehouse. He's the last of a generation and uh, he'd, he'd be very upset with me if he'd heard me say that, but he doesn't get on the internet. So I'm, I'm pretty safe. <laughs> Uh, right. Except he goes to UPS stores to print out his emails and things. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't. Okay, now you're going to get an email. Uh, but that's right. Uh, I'm going to handwrite an email that someone will transcribe to me. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Frank knew how to how to pastor a big staff, and uh, even though St. Helena's was disproportionately large for Buford, um, and of course the Advent had a long-standing reputation. Uh, you know. I, I know that for both Nick and, and JD and I, uh, the ministry of Paul's all and others had a profound impact on us. And so, sure. so to be able to go to a place that I already loved from a distance was, was a real, um, answer to prayer. Um, while we were there, we actually engaged in a conversation with Frank Limehouse about whether or not Lauren, my wife and I were to go plant a church in Birmingham, there was no intention that that church would be a part of the Episcopal church. And, uh, and before that really got off the ground, uh, Frank uh, retired for the same reasons that, that, that I left the Advent. He, he just couldn't, um, I'll let him speak for himself, but, but it was pretty clear that things in the Diocese of Alabama were, were becoming more and more like the National Church. And so uh, I ended up succeeding Frank, and and I served against all odds and expectations. I think anyone yes. could say. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was <laughs> mentioned, but no. Uh, one of the members of the search committee said that they had gone through all the sons of Jesse, and all that was left was the kid. <laughs> Do you not have one more candidate somewhere in the fields? <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I, um, I I thought it was a bad idea, but I think that. Look, my being called as the dean and rector of the Advent when I was 33 uh, is not an indicator of a real depth of field uh, in, in the Episcopal Church. And so in 2013, I, I, took the, I took the position up in January of 14. It was clear then that everybody had either left or capitulated uh, with very few exceptions. And in fact, when I was the dean and rector there, that was one of the hardest things was to find somebody um, that checked all the boxes. I mean, you could still find folks that were conservative on the sexuality issue in the Episcopal Church, but they couldn't articulate the gospel and they were sort of culturally conservative. And some of those people that I've interviewed have now shifted on the sexuality issue uh, because the culture has shifted. And whatever context they're in is going to determine how they go about uh, their theology. And that's obviously going to in, inform their practice. So 
uh, things were great at the advent. Uh, I was well loved, I think, and uh, I loved them very much. But uh, with a new bishop being elected, who was a very capable uh, and able person, she is the former president of a four-year educational institution in Alabama and uh, has a terminal degree and is a very uh, good leader. Um, she, like her predecessor, uh, said that unless the Advent changed, there was not going to be a place for us in the Episcopal Church. And after hearing the bishop say that, I, I thought maybe we should believe them. And, and we should begin to at least pray through and talk about the idea that the Advent would not be in the Episcopal Church. And they had been fighting this stuff for 30 years and, uh, and has uh, taken a pretty strong stand uh, against the innovations of the Episcopal Church. Uh, but the bishop rightly thought, hey, if you're going to be an Episcopal Church, especially if you're going to be the cathedral of the diocese, that has to mean something. And so we began to engage in conversations. And basically, there was a divergence between a small group of lay people, although significant leaders at the Advent, and myself over the direction we were going to go. I simply wasn't willing to lead them into a closer relationship uh, with the Episcopal Church. In fact, ultimately, I think all of us admitted that we know long-term that there is no place for the Advent in the Episcopal Church. And so our conversations in-house tended to be about timing. But it occurred to me that in one vestry meeting, uh, somebody said that whatever the presenting issue was, that this wasn't the hill that we were willing to die on. I stopped the meeting and asked, what hill are we willing to die on? Yeah. And, uh, and as far as I was concerned, it, it became pretty clear. The reason why we've been arguing about this for 30 years is because we had no plan on doing anything mm. uh, and really hoping that the Advent could just wait it out and along would come a bishop who was really nice. And... So even within a month of my leaving, the Advent has signed this covenant uh, with the Diocese of Alabama, which is, is an indicator of, you know, that's the direction that some of the leadership wanted to go. And that was a direction that I was unwilling to go. And so in less than a month, there's been um, a reversal of the past 30 years. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, a um, conceding that they're an Episcopal church. And, and, and plan on being that. And of course, you know, like most conservative churches that still remain in the Episcopal Church, they're allowed to hold whatever convictions they want to hold, but they're not allowed to act upon them. And that's basically what they've agreed to do. They would have to host like gay weddings and that kind of thing, is that? Is that... I don't think that that's, I don't think that that, that was really discussed, but Matt, I mean, talking, I've got a bunch of friends that are on the standing committee for liturgy and music, you know, inside baseball alert here. And it's a given that at the next general convention, which meets next year, they're going to pass uh, a res because they've got these trial rights yeah. going on. And constitutionally and canonically, that's not a sustainable. And they, I mean, why let the constitution and canons get in the way of what you want? But I think that we realize that that they need to try to sync that up. So what they're going to do is to elevate these trial rights, not put them in the prayer book, but elevate them to prayer book status. And of course, when you're ordained in the Episcopal Church, you cannot refuse yeah. the use of any prayer book liturgy in your church. And so it may be that Advent clergy aren't required to do it, uh, but 
And that was hinted to hinted toward in the Bill Love trial when the judges and the jury uh, said that uh, every Episcopalian ought to have the right to get married in their own parish. That's what they meant. Yeah. So that actually is exactly what is going happening and is going to happen. So uh, if you're going to stay in the Episcopal Church, that's unavoidable. But I think, too, that what I've realized is any church that was going to leave the Episcopal Church has already left the Episcopal Church. And those that have stayed in, you know, it's it's like the terrible joke uh, about the two elderly women in the in the immense but almost empty Gothic Episcopal Church and the strains of the opening hymn start up and in walks this bare chested man juggling batons of fire followed by four bare-chested men holding a sedan chair, and on the sedan chair is a monkey holding up a crowned pineapple. And the one lady says to the other lady, one more thing and I'm out of here. <laughs> and, oh, that old joke. That old joke. You so, tell it very well. You tell yeah, it very well. Um, yeah, so the, um, it, I think that that's where we are. So it's the frog in the pot, and so many churches that are, quote, conservative in the Episcopal Church um, have be things that would have alarmed them and set real change into motion 10 years ago don't even phase them now. Yeah. It really is the end of an era. I mean, I'm, and I know it's, it comes with great sadness, um, you know, but I can remember being back in seminary, you know, we had like a map basically of kind of churches that were citadels, you know, just that were, that everyone wanted to at least work for, that we knew about. I mean, a couple of, there was still a couple of dioceses, sort of central Florida and South Carolina, but, um, but outside of that, you know, the advent was like this shining city on a hill. <laughs> you know, we'd heard about it. Has anyone seen it? Is it real? You know, and um, I mean, you did wonderful work there, but, but I do, you know, everything you're saying obviously resonates with, with me and Nick and Matt um, in very similar ways, um, you know, and I mean, obviously some differences, but, but there was, there does come this time when you realize, like you asked in your vestry meeting, if not now, then, then when, and if the answer becomes clear that, well, actually never, um, that's, that's, that's a clarifying moment for everyone, because I think, you know, there are clergy uh, friends of mine, you know, people that we know that have faced that question themselves and realized that that was their answer also, you know, that, um, you know, we're actually not going to leave, you know, apparently come what may. And, you know, I think that's, this is, this is a, a clarifying moment. And, you know, your leaving uh, is just a further indication of the difficulty, increasing friction, as Nick said, between, um, you know, sort of uh, faithful, articulate, you know, countercultural gospel ministry and work within the Episcopal Church. Yeah, I, the Advent kept me in the Episcopal Church. I mean, there, there was no real other reason to, to be in the Episcopal Church. And, and I certainly wasn't going to leave the Advent to go to another Episcopal Church. Uh, I've been a part of Communion Partners, which is the sort of conservative remnant in the Episcopal Church. And it's become increasingly clear to me that it's every man, woman, and child for themselves. And sort of the last battlefield that they're trying to stand on is to maintain the conservative integrity of what few remaining conservative dioceses there are. And so basically places like the Advent and others were, were left to themselves. And, you know, it, people just aren't standing together. But, um, but to, you know, I mean, to y'all's point, uh, there came a point where the the Episcopal 
albatross around the neck really was becoming detrimental uh, to ministry. I mean, the Advent was large enough and had a reputation where we could overcome that by and large, but clearly it it wasn't insurmountable as evidenced by, by what's happened there. And I want to say in their defense, I don't expect gospel preaching to go away uh, at the Advent anytime soon. There still are staff members there. Uh, all of the staff, I mean, I hired all of them by and large, who are solid as a rock. But I think moving forward, living more into the Episcopal identity means that you're a lot less willing to take risks like I was to bring in people from even other denominations that shared our convictions. What kind of of covenant did did they draw up with that then after you left? Is it a an agreement for more cooperative adventures? What was it? Yeah, no, we had engaged, the previous bishop had asked us if we wanted to be involved in mediation. And I said a thousand times, yes. Let's get a third party mediator in here. Y'all get in your room, we'll get in ours. And let's, let's put together, my hope was some sort of agreement that honored the financial needs of the Diocese of Alabama and honored the theological convictions of, of the Advent. And to have that document have some sort of binding penalties uh, if, if either side broke it. Well, the new bishop came in and we began to engage in those conversations, but after several months, uh, the diocese inside said, we, we, we're not going to bring in a mediator and we're not willing to make an agreement that binds the diocese or any of the bishop's successors. So what they have is a document that's in place that has a shelf life of three years. The bishop, when she was elected, was 67 and was consecrated at 68. So our incoming bishop was older than our outgoing bishop. And so she only has three years left on the job and the the document only lasts that long. Uh, But what the document does do is it tries to spell out what the convictions of the Advent are. And I appreciate that it says that the Advent holds scripture as singularly authoritative, but then it goes on to express how it's not singularly authoritative in the following areas. Um, namely, uh, giving, the Advent restricted its giving for years, and now um, the opportunity to, uh, for individuals to check Advent only on the pledge card is going to be removed. Fuller cooperation in the life of the diocese on various and sundry committees, and really just kind of playing ball uh, with the diocese. Full intentional communion. Uh, the liturgy that we used was a modified 1662 uh, we can only now use, uh, I say we, the Advent, uh, can only now use whatever liturgies are in the 79 book or approved by the bishop. Um, and those were things that were given to us by the previous bishop. So I think that the bigger issue is that it's seen as a peace document, and and it means that that the Advent plans on living more into an Episcopal identity rather than it was before. And I agree that you know, the defensive position that we've taken for 30 years has taken a toll on ministry, and that really wasn't a viable way forward. I think that it was either uh, out of the Episcopal Church or deeper into it. You get, a, you get to a point where you think, okay, it's, this still is possible to stay with integrity. It's still possible to stay with integrity, and then, and then it just suddenly these things start chipping away, and you're, you're kind of trapped. You're like, you're, you, have, you have to get out. Um, and... Yeah, it seems to me that uh, those things that your Advent was doing 
would have been essential to stay, maintaining a certain kind of distance, right. not not being in full communion with your with your diocese, not giving, uh, promoting with your tithes and offerings the false teaching that's going on. Um, the diocese, I think, would be would just uh, once you get rid of those. I, again, I'm not saying anything about your your colleagues you left behind. I'm sure they're they're solid and orthodox, but um, but I it's I just don't see how anybody can stay and that is the way diocese after diocese church after church that's that's the way things are headed um i think i think really i really think the last battle last significant battle was the back it was the battle uh, bishop love fought up in albany and uh, after he was gone and after the after b012 or whatever it was his last uh, his last convention where now bishops have to facilitate um, gay marriages, even if they disagree with it, I think there's just, there's just, it's, it's over. I mean, I don't, I don't see how it goes much further um, as uh, not a viable option for conservatives. Because when you, JD, correct me, when you guys got in, I mean, I, I, I was, I was in, I, I like Andrew, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. Although we, had, my dad actually made me go to church, so it was, we were, we were kind of an odd, odd group. But I grew up in the Episcopal Church. Uh, I, as soon as I actually became a Christian, which I wasn't, I wasn't until I was like 26, I went back to the Episcopal Church. Uh, I started, started my ministry in 2002, just before Gene Robinson. Um, so when I went in, I, th- I still thought in 2002, okay, the, the, the implosion is 10 years off. We conservatives in the Episcopal Church can still fight this thing right. and keep it from going off the rails. 2003 hit. I said, oh, God, I know, this, this is only a matter of time. We got out in 2007. But, J.D., you guys got in, and in, 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 you guys got in, like, in 2000, what, 11, 2000? 2008. Well, no, we got, yeah, well, Nick grew up in it, but I, I got confirmed, like, a month after Gene Robinson was consecrated. So, I mean, I knew, but I, I was sort of recruited. We talked about this before. I mean, I was recruited by the resistance Episcopalians to be part of the, part of the fight. I mean, I knew what we were getting into. And that's why, you know, Trinity School for Ministry at the time, uh, particularly was seen as a, um, you know, like a, like a battle, um, you know, like a battle or a a fort, you know, like a training ground for, for warriors, for lack of a better word. You know, the joke, the joke that the outgoing rector at my old church had before I took uh, over, he said, you know, when I came into seminary, the job was uh, essentially a cruise ship captain. And now it's a battleship captain, you know, and I said, well, um, you know, school, I went to the people I've been around have been sort of battle tested. And so that was that was my intent. And I think, you know, we um, uh, you know, that was a long time ago, though, you know, 15, 17 years, lots changed. And I think for me, um, there just came a point where I looked ahead at the rest of my life and said, uh, if I'm going to fight for a church, if I'm going to. Um, if I'm going to sacrifice, you know, my 40s, 50s and 60s for the sake of a, a denomination, it's not going to be the Episcopal Church. And that was that was kind of a decisive move. I was I am grateful, like you, Andrew, with leaving faithful staff. Um, we were able to, uh, you know, set up depot, have a sort of like one of the communion partner bishops um, was an oversaw my replacement and successor which um, you know meant that there's a faithful faithful witness and ministry uh, ongoing at um, St. Francis. Nevertheless, the same compromises that one is forced to make, um, you know, remain. Um, and as the bishops, you know, turn over, and the I think as the culture gets more clear, either that this is you know the the traditional Christian perspective, particularly on human sexuality, is seen by many as a 
a moral issue. You know, to be a to, to refuse to do a gay wedding is a is the height of immorality and and sort of prejudice in many people's it's minds. An act of violence. Yeah, particularly within the Episcopal Church. So if you have a bishop that actually is a leader who has the strength of his or her convictions and is in a diocese and has the the and that's what they believe, well then I don't see how you're going to to be able to. Uh, I don't see how he or she in good conscience could allow you to be such a prejudicial bigot, um, you know, in their their way of thinking. And I think that's where it's headed. I think that's where it's headed. I think it's way beyond that, J.D. I mean, I will say that the last three years of the the conversations that I was having with the bishop and that we were having officially with uh, diocesan representatives, human sexuality very rarely came up because it was a given. We disagreed and we're still in Alabama. I mean, you know, so missionally, if they tried what you were talking about, that that isn't going to play well. But nonetheless, uh, we were having questions. We were having conversations around who is Jesus and what did he accomplish for us? What is the Bible and its role and authority in the life of God's church? What does it mean to be human? Uh, what is what is sin? What what is salvation? And it became very clear that we were talking about two totally different religions on core Christian issues. Uh, we're all using the same words, but operating under entirely different definitions. Yeah. And in many ways, it, it felt like I was, I grew up where there were uh, a number of Mormons, and it felt like I was having a conversation with them and the idea of progressive revelation. Yeah. Uh, and, and so for me, it, it made me realize, by and large, this is not everybody, but by and large, the people who I'm having these conversations with, uh, we're not worshiping the same God. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, it became a real pastoral issue of who do I let come into my pulpit? Right. And I say my in the sense that I was the rector and it was my right. job to, to guard the pulpit and um, and and I began to take that role pretty seriously, and that's that's really where the trouble began. Yeah, I, and I, I appreciate that, and felt the similar feels, even so, the similar pressure. I know you do, to Matt and Nick, but um, I think this is why. Speaking of the sort of similar language, there's so many people new to the ACNA or new to Ang- relatively new to Anglicanism that 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 when they hear. Some, some of the things coming out of the Episcopal Church in particular, or just Anglicanism in general, you know, maybe from, from Archbishop Welby or some of these other, you know, sort of the Church of Canada, that they, they begin to wonder, like, is it such a big deal? You know, I mean, they're talking about, Je- I mean, you know, Bishop Curry talked about the Jesus movement, you know, I mean, how could that be bad? You know, and, and if, you haven't, if you haven't dug down deep in it and experienced it, or at, least, or at least listened to people who have, well, then it's very easy to get confused and say, you know, why can't we all get along? I mean, look at the Anglican Studies House at Duke, for instance, you know, I mean, you have you have people training side by side who are, you know, according to you, Andrew, and I agree with you, essentially going to 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 different religious understandings of God. And yet, you know, it exists as this sort of model of unity and Christian charity and love. Well, you know, as long as you evacuate the meaning of all of these fundamental doctrines, um, and, you know, uh, boil essentially faith in God down to its most basic level, uh, lowest common denominator, well, then maybe there's some unity there. But, but in terms of actively leading a parish and discipling people in the, in the, by the, through the scriptures, you know, what does the Acts 2 say? You know, apostles teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of the bread. 
it's going to look entirely different because you're exactly right. We're talking about two different understandings of, of God, revelation, the self, sin, death, and the devil. I mean, that's, that's just where we are. And, and the sooner we can get more clarity, the better, which is in part why we do this podcast. <laughs> I do want to defend Christopher Belia for a minute, but I think that, you know, what, again, back to my previous point about communion partners, it, these, these points of intersection seem to be happening in sort of meta institutions. So like in, in a seminary context where it might be easier to navigate those things um, and be above the fray of the, of the politics and arguments of the day, or even in a diocese in the Episcopal Church that seems to be safe. But it became very clear to me, um, because I was told this, that there was no place for me in the Episcopal Church. And so I think that if you're someone that is, is a person of conviction and you're going into the ordained ministry, you're your post. Yeah, I, I, I think the and I'm not sure how many people who listen to us have, have been in the Episcopal Church, but uh, when when a when an Episcopal clergyman or clergywoman talks about Jesus and the gospel, uh, they tend to mean something like uh, the Jesus who is our example in fighting for social justice, and the gospel is our work of social justice, and and so and so they're they're plenty yeah they do I mean then Bishop Curry talks about Jesus all the time but that's what he means he just means the Jesus who leads us in social justice work, and 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 as far as we can uh, take on that work ourselves and we can we can be Jesus people we can be part of a Jesus movement. Um, it, it was remarkable to me the, the, how many communion partner bishops seem to be either deaf to that uh, to his use of the of the name Jesus or misuse of the name Jesus and his very uh, works oriented uh, love God, love neighbor, quote unquote gospel, which is really just the law um, shoved down everyone's throat. Um, but, but they, I think it sounded to me anyway, listening to some, to some of the conservative Episcopalian bishops and clergy speak about Curry is that they were just happy to have someone talk about Jesus at all. Cause I mean, the previous, Bishop. I mean, it could be Jesus, or it could be you know, uh, who knows who she's going to start. <laughs> yeah. she's gonna start talking about. I'd rather than not. My my, yeah. you know, a couple of years ago at our diocesan convention, we our keynote speaker was a was a climate scientist, and so he came and he talked to us about <laughs> warming. And my delegation, my delegation was furious, and they said that was just terrible. And I said, it's the best diocesan convention I've ever been to in Alabama because he never tried to talk about Jesus. That's right. That's yeah. right. Like you can take right. what he said politically or even and scientifically, but like I, it was so refreshing to not hear blasphemy. I love that. I always love that. It's like you know when it comes to let's let's not let's not pin, get pinned down too much on the authority of scripture, the identity of God, the relation, you know, the atonement theories, all these things. But, but what we do know is that the world will end in 10 years unless everyone starts driving a Tesla. Like, and, and supporting the millennium yeah. development goals. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> this is no, you, they are saying that, um, you know, our, our, we had a zoom clergy college for clergy for our diocese and Diana Butler Bass was the, um, was the presenter. And Diana <laughs> Butler Bass said that um, COVID was, the earth's judgment upon us for abusing her. And when, when I heard that, I, I wonder what the reaction of my clergy colleagues in Alabama would have been if an evangelical had said COVID 
is God's yes. judgment against a world that it's has that has turned its back on him. Mm. I mean, you I could smell the flints. So, you know, but I wonder if I can put a question back on y'all as I am coming into the ACNA, JD, you, uh, or, or maybe Matt, you mentioned that, that maybe a lot of people who are listening to this were not necessarily in the Episcopal church, but I remember being on the front end with the American Anglican council. And one of my great fears for what was then the network and then became uh, the ACNA was that too much Episcopal DNA would be transferred over. Mm -hmm. And there was a sense amongst some that what they wanted was the Episcopal church the day before Gene Robinson was a bishop. Mm, interesting. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of that, actually. I think um, we had, a, we had we, when we first left the Episcopal church and we lost our lawsuit, we moved to a new location, we did have a number of Episcopalians come to Good Shepherd, and that they they are they articulated that that we we just want we want what we had back at Trinity or what we had back at Christ Church, but without the gays. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, where we we want first of all, we want gays to come and believe the, believe in Jesus, but second. Uh, we don't want to recreate. We just want to, we don't want to recreate uh, the Episcopal Church circa 1982, which is what, uh, which is what it does seem like a lot. Not just uh, uh, parishioners, but but clergy um, are doing as well. The, as for the DNA question, oh man, I, I think I think that uh, at the beginning of the ACNA, there were some a, a good number of leaders who brought into the ACNA um, some of the flavor of the kind of charismatic wing of the Episcopal Church that, that had merged with the church growth movement um, among evangelicals. And, and so uh, there's a, there, there were a number of leaders who just really, really wanted to find respectability and acceptability in the wider culture um, and uh, who, and then I think I think part of the ACNA's uh, church planting movement took over this, um, and so in order to do that, you know, soft in the gospel, uh, soft on preaching, at least uh, gospel preaching, preaching like you know, five or six tips to, on how to be a good leader or whatever. That's fine, but 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 actual preaching the gospel was kind of left behind. You know that all all the ways that the secret sensitive movement seeks to make the church lovable yes. um, was brought right into the ACNA, and that's that's actually a big that's actually a big portion of of our of our polity right now, of our of our of our church body right now. There's um, a lot like that, and I think in large part the more progressive dioceses in the ACNA have adopted that as what well, primarily. I um, mean that's where you're getting people coming to the ACNA who are Ex Baptist, ex uh, ex Baptist, <laughs> ex uh, non denominational slash Baptist coming in. Well, that's the joke, and, you know. You yeah, say you're yeah. non denominational church, like this is Baptist. <laughs> it's a Baptist, <laughs> right? But they're coming in and they're bringing that all in. Um, and that's the really interesting thing is that we have this almost like uh, trash compactor thing from Star Wars, both sides, where yes, where um, <laughs> whatever amount of Episcopal DNA cut in is in and then you have people who sort of look into anglicanism from the other side the more 
conservative slash evangelical side and see Anglicanism as somehow less intense than the tradition from which they came less rigorous, less, you know, hardcore. And so they come bringing a desire to be softer, to be more welcoming, as you say. And so to whatever extent those two things exist together, they can join and create sort of an anchor, like a, a drag back to the same sort of problems. And it's only been 10 years and we're like, yes. are we really talking about, are we really talking about same-sex attraction now? Like the ACNA just started. That's we're right. already having these conversations again. Well, this brings it back full circle to me because, you know, uh, Andrew, your two times predecessor at the Advent, Paul Zoll, uh, who's very influential in, in our lives. I can say, I don't know about yours, Matt, but you know, when I was a young, well, not even clergyman, I mean, I was 22 right out of college and began, I think Paul uh, very, very sort of prophetically saw that the identity language, the, the this identity question was going to be a, a counter gospel. You know, he taught as much. I mean, I remember being so inspired. It wasn't just the quote unquote sexual identity, but all of the various identities he saw was, was, a, was a false gospel. And so when Gene Robinson was consecrated famously and that was in the birmingham news whatever the paper is there he flew a black flag over the cathedral in downtown birmingham yeah and i you know as a young man who was worried that there was not going to be any church much less well any clergy person much less a church that was going to be um sort of courageous and forthright that was a that was an amazingly transformative um action you know but i've been very unlikely um you know sort of out of out of um uh, you know, character in certain ways. And, and yet that was like, I was like, where is that guy going to teach? Where, what is, what, what convictions have brought him to bear? And, and how do I, how do I join up with that? Not, not of an animus towards any particular sort of, sort of quote unquote identity group, but because it was so clearly a counter gospel to what the Bible is offering, you know, and of course we just see the fruits of that now, like the actual idea that the God, the Bible creates a new humanity a one race of people in christ whether they're jew or greek slave or free male or female like all of this identity language whether it's sexual identity or racial identity or ethnic identity is contrary to the proclamation of the new creation in christ and so he saw that 20 years ago almost now and you know i have been fighting nick and i together for many years i guess we're continuing now just to have that clarity that put forth i think we joked about it i don't know if we did it on if we did it while we were recording or not but you know if the, if at the front of every acna bulletin every sunday would be the three takeaways from the jerusalem declaration you know we we'd be in a better place like this is the church you're joining like this is not a this is uh you know this is in fact your grandpa's church and to the extent that your grandpa heard the gospel and learned about sin and redemption and christ's atoning work for him it's that's not a bad thing that's a good thing and you know to the extent that the acna like any church has tried to be sort of quote-unquote seeker sensitive um has well we have 30 plus 40 years of data to see that that has um been a monumental failure you know it's a monumental failure and just you know this is a whole nother issue but you look at the the sort of quote-unquote seeker sensitive church churches period you know like hillsong type churches and the leadership there and sort of the troubles they've gotten into but also every day i hear more and more, you know, um, sort of influencers in the, the former evangelical world becoming ex-evangelicals and all these things, you know, one after the other after the other, 
And it's in part because they were never confronted or at least seemingly confronted with the actual cross. You know, this is this is the the life that you're being called to, which is one that um, does not have room for your own personal identity. Um, and if that's a problem for you, well, then you at least need to hear it on the front end and wrestle with it as opposed to, you know, I feel for these guys in their mid to late 40s who are all of a sudden saying, you know, this isn't the church I thought I joined. It's like, well, it's because you didn't actually join in some cases, an actual Christian church, <laughs> like you join some sort of self-help yoga group with a rock, with a, with a substandard wedding singer rock band up front. Um, and, you know, anyway, so that's my, that's my, so yeah, we're fighting. We're glad you're on the team now and we're laboring away, but it's, um, it's a worthy, worthy endeavor. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I mean, the Advent has, you know, you talked about Paul's ministry, God using it, Paul's all. Uh, to be transformative. Well, I think the black flag was very transformative uh, for he and Mary as well, because it transformed them uh, on over to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania within eight months. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so, uh, you know, the Advent's been used to, uh, or at least the leadership has been used to, I think, what happens when you take a stand. But also, you know, you, you, you hit on this, J.D., um, you know, managing the expectation, I mean, at least from the Advent's end, we were such a different congregation that most of the folks who would come up through the Advent that wanted to be ordained realized, oh, no, you mean all other Episcopal churches aren't like the Advent? And so, you know, now all of those guys are Presbyterians uh, that have come up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, uh, but, you know, I mean, to your point, too, I, I for the ACNA, I mean, if you're a reformed evangelical, and uh, you, as you said, JD, you know, you look at the, the 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 formularies of the ACNA, the Articles, and the 1662 Prayer Book, and the Jerusalem Declaration. Um, but that even stands a little bit at odds with, you know, you get on the website and it talks about the three streams. Right. So it, you know, what do you think the the freedom of the evangelical witness within the ACNA? Uh, over and against all the other voices. <laughs> that may be another podcast. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we can talk a little bit. <laughs> Matt, do you have, I mean, I've got thoughts, of course. Uh, yeah, I think you're definitely still free to bear witness to the gospel. You can, if you're a rector of a church in the ACNA, pretty much any diocese of, 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 the, of the church, you you don't have, your your tongue is not tied. Right. Um, so you know that very well, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess it does depend on how 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 your vision is, but but in general, that's that's the case. The the problem is being drowned out just by virtue of the of the, of the attention given to certain voices, especially mm. progressive voices. You know, we have you know the, our most progressive ACNA priests are are writing for New York, New York Times and um, and for secular public out media sources, and that's the face of the ACNA that the world sees. So young, you know, liberal-minded evangelicals who want to find, like J.D. was saying, a looser, more mystical experience of the Christian faith are going to read these guys and, and on, um, on, in the, on the, the tweets. Paper. Yeah, okay. and then kind of and head into the ACNA through a more progressive diocese, and that, that tribe increases. So, yeah, you're free to preach the gospel, but it's, just, it's, it's in danger of being drowned out. Um, and you know, there's there's a there's a class issue here too. You know, I was talking to Mark Mark Ingersoll yesterday in our his podcast, 
and he was saying one of the things is driving the progressive wing that is that of the ACNA, which is kind of more from that charismatic, seeker-sensitive seeker group that I mentioned a minute ago, is the kind of disdain for the Trump voter, um, yeah. the underclass, white, uh, poor person who, you know, has barbecue and wages flag and uh, and and uh, just you know, and sings the American person. anthem in uh, yeah, right, Walmart. right. So, so okay. a lot of the a lot of this, I don't want to be like that. We don't want the ACM to be like that. We want to attract the right kind of people. Um, and yeah, you right talk about people. you talk about carryovers, so like negative carryovers from the Episcopal Church. Like goodness, there, that's there's, big. there's there's a big one right there. Yeah, we don't want. We're definitely not like right. those Baptists. That's right. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. And the Baptists who have come over to us don't want to be like those Baptists either. So that's right. They're, yeah, they're my grandma, to, my grandpa was a Baptist minister. Now I'm father so and so. You know. Yeah. Whatever. Right. <laughs> but I think there's hope. I mean, this is what I keep saying, and I've I've been banging this gong ever since I got into the ACNA in part because I have been involved with it peripherally and have many friends and family even for that matter that have been um, very much sacrificed um, you know from the early days uh, to, to make the ACNA what it is including you know Trinity School for Ministry been involved with that for since college so 20 something years now but what I keep saying is that if we the, the bones are solid like the formularies I mean the actual bones of the ACNA, the constitutions, the canons, you know, the what we consider to be our sources of authority, um, the way that we are set up hierarchically, like all of those are solid. And so I just keep, I mean, we've even had Matt and I've even had Twitter um, conversations with people who are pushing back on us on a variety of theological points that we've just gotten to go back to the third nine articles and say, listen, I'm sorry, you, you may not believe such and such about original sin or in the case of our discussion concupiscence or um you know you may not believe that but this is what anglicans believe this is what we believe and you know i'm grateful for the partnership within the acna particularly the reformed episcopal church you know the more these guys i meet personally the more impressed i am one by their scholarship and sort of the rigor of that um tradition but also by their um their sort of long-standing witness to a variety of things which you know we aren't forced to agree with in whole part but to have them as part of our conversation partners on the acna is, is a great joy for me and then you know to the extent that we all push against sort of structures uh that that limit the you know our our sinful freedoms to uh, hypothesize about god if were we him um you know that's going to be a constant challenge for every generation and so i'm grateful so far for bishops that seem to have actually embraced like a genuine liberal uh position towards their clergy uh meaning that there's some freedom but at the same time, uh, have been shown very quick to bring some form of church discipline to bear when necessary. And, you know, I'm, I feel I feel the best way I can say about the ACNA, Andrew, is that for the first time, you know, my what, how long have we been ordained? 15, 16 years to have had bishops that, you know, we trust, respect and feel cared for um, is a is a is a wonderful thing. And so, you know, the antagonism that you've had to have, I mean, albeit with nice bishops nice people everyone's nice um that at the very least has um dissipated and that's a great joy yeah as we as we plant a church in birmingham that that is the adjustments that i'm making is uh, i was writing foley beach who is my bishop the other day and i apologize for not writing him sooner um, but i'm just now getting used to this having a bishop that i can trust <laughs> um, i'm still uh, not used to it <laughs> no. Well, you, why don't you, as we wrap up, why don't you say 
one or two th things about your new work so that we can be in prayer for you. Uh, thanks, Nick. Yeah, we, um, as I mentioned before in the story that that Lauren and I had had felt the tug to go plant a church. And uh, we'd hoped to do that alongside the Advent, but they discerned that that's not something that, that they felt called to do. Uh, so now that I'm no longer the dean and rector, that does free me up to be able to pursue this. And what I'm most excited about is the diversity of the group that is interested in planting this church. It's not just a bunch of angry Adventists. Um, it's it's folks who come from a variety of backgrounds, different churches, different denominations, in some cases, almost no church background at all. But in Birmingham, we have a lot of institutional churches, and there are some missional benefits to, to having that uh, in Birmingham. But, but folks aren't so excited about being a part of an institution as they are about being part of a household of faith. Uh, they want something that is relational. They want something that not only believes that the Bible is the word of God, but actually is striving to live under its authority and it puts the gospel front and center and everything that we say and do. So there's a lot of excitement. We're, we're, we're taking it slowly because we want to do this well. And, and I really want to see this as a missional church plant and, and not just a reaction over and against the Episcopal church. In fact, someone sent me along a terrible country music song from the 1970s that, uh, the guy sings, happiness is Lubbock, Texas in the rearview mirror. And, uh, and so for, for us, uh, the Episcopal Church, the Bishop of Alabama, uh, and, and even the Advent to some extent, they're, they're in the rearview mirror and, um, and we're, we're, we're pushing forward. And as crazy as it is, y'all, one of my prayers is that in 15 years time that there are still faithful people at the Advent and that they see this new church, if God wills it to get off the ground, and they say, praise God for that new church. And our only regret was that we weren't uh, partnering with them on the front end. It's uh, gracebirmingham.com, is that right? I think that's right. All right, well, it's certainly searchable. Certainly, we we love you, Andrew, and we will be in prayer for this work. If you're in driving distance of Birmingham, Alabama, and you're hearing this, we uh, couldn't recommend Grace Birmingham more highly. Um, that is going to be all the time that we have together this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you want to keep our conversation going, you can be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email even at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch, and a special thank you this week to Andrew Pearson. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we will be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm -hmm.